those of you who don't know what's going on, um, this is discipleship class number three, and um, I am in uh, Lakeland, Florida. Pam and I had a situation um, with her uncle, and of course my uncle by marriage, and um, he uh, moved into an assisted living and of course has uh, uh, 60 years worth of accumulated stuff in, in his home, and so uh, we've been helping him this week try to get all that organized and donated and sorted through, and, and um, met a realtor yesterday that I really believe just the Holy Spirit um, sent him to us. Uh, he, he is a brother. Um, he came out of, a, of addiction. He was born again and then delivered um, from his addiction. His words, not mine, praise God. Uh, of course, we believe in that. Uh, a year after he was born again, and um, that was over 13 years ago, he does discipleship recovery ministry in his church and um, but is also just a very humble man but but very productive and fruitful in in the uh, Lakeland area real estate market and so we are so thankful the Lord has gone before us and um, uh, just anyway trying to help uh, of course his name's Don Wilson but everybody calls him Uncle Junior so trying to help Uncle Junior get all that stuff um, resolved and so um, the other thing too, this is this is a new experience for me. Um, I've been preaching and teaching, you know, since my early teenage years, um, and there's a dynamic that exists when you're in front of a group of people where you read their faces, and but it's more than just the physical presence when you're with someone or in the presence of someone teaching them or being taught by them. There is a, a dynamic that takes place in in the spirit, um, where a demand is actually placed upon uh, the gift. It's it's, in other words, I humbly tell you that I believe the Holy Spirit has has put some things in me tonight uh, to to give to those who are willing to receive it. And and when people are hungry for that truth. Um, it's literally something that I can sense uh, that that truth being being pulled out of me, being drawn from me, and so it's um, one way of saying it is it's, it's a demand being placed upon the gift, and so here I am tonight uh, with no one sitting physically in front of me, um, but I asked the Lord uh, today and then again before I hit the live button that um, that that demand would still be present, that I would still sense that demand, because again, we're talking about something spiritual, and if we're talking about something spiritual, then we're not, we're not talking about something that's only limited to people in the same room, um, so I believe people who are listening, even in other states, um, are placing a demand on what the Holy Spirit desires to ultimately um, speak into your life and, and, and say to you tonight, so... Um, also, and again, I know folks are still coming in. Thank you for that uh, update there, Pastor Rick, um, uh, there at Heritage. And so I'll just, while they're doing that, I'll just continue to talk for an, another minute or two. Um, the Lord spoke to us in June and said that we had just completed 20 years of sowing and that we were uh, entering into a season that would be marked by 20 years of harvest. And it, it's a long story on how that word came to me. I was expecting a corrective word, and the Lord gave me such a, a, a blessing uh, with what he told me when he said that and I, I believe that you know part of what uh, that 20 years of, of harvest and, and in other words it's just a, it's just a new season not just in my life but 
but in our family of faith at Heritage and, and what the Lord has has called us to do. And so, um, I think it was three weeks ago now, on a Sunday evening, um, the Lord instructed me to go down in front of the pulpit to, if y'all are familiar with how that building is laid out, there's a, a ledge there that's in front of the pulpit. He instructed me just to go and just to sit on that ledge and and to not raise my voice, but to just to just talk and just share my heart and to not get up um, until I was done, which I thought was a little strange at first uh, when he asked me to do that. Um, but I think he knew this evening was coming. And um, I've often said, if you tie these hands behind my back, I can't speak. It's a bad confession and I'm correcting that. But um, there was all the dynamics that I'm used to experiencing when I teach and preach um, are, are not present tonight. I'm, I'm seated in a room by myself, uh, but I know that the Holy Spirit is our teacher and He is going to teach us what we need to know and receive from Him uh, no matter where we may be uh, listening or viewing this tonight. So um, anyway, praise God. Let's, um, let's pray. It's about nine after. I know we'll probably still have some folks join us um, at, uh, at Heritage. It's, it's uh, 6.09 where I am uh, here in Lakeland, Florida. We're in the Eastern Time Zone. So anyway, 9, 10 after. Um, but um, anyway, let's, uh, let's pray together. Let's join our hearts together. Um, and let's believe God uh, for uh, His Word to come alive inside of us tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, uh, we come to You tonight in the name of Jesus. We thank You Lord, for this evening, we thank You, Father, for uh, the many men and women who have joined us now, uh, Lord, for this time of, of learning and growing together. And we also thank You, Father, for others, Lord, who will watch the uh, recording of this or listen to the recording of this teaching later. Um, Father, I thank You that, that You're doing something in us. And Lord, um, we ask tonight that You give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand, Lord, what You would uh, have us uh, to hear and receive, Father. Um, Lord, I thank You tonight that um, men and women are not just making the commitment to be a disciple, Father, but they're, they're learning what that really means and, and why You establish something called discipleship in the earth and why, Father, You have asked us and, and invited us to be a part of, Lord, Your discipleship program, Your discipleship process, not just as as those who are, who are disciples, but, Father, for us to go and make disciples in Your name. Disciples not of ourselves, Father, but disciples of You. And so, Lord, we ask You tonight, Lord, not just for information, Lord, but for revelation. Father, that um, we not just have instruction tonight, but, Father, we ask for impartation by Your Holy Spirit, and, Father, that Your truth would come alive in us in such a powerful way, Lord, that it would renew our minds and change our lives forever and for Your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. And I heard you say Amen in the Spirit just then. Praise God. A um, couple of things as we get started tonight. Uh, my uncle has a, uh, a beagle named Chipper. Chipper's about 14 years old, and he's in, uh, in another room. And so every now and then, he lets out the distinct sound that a beagle makes. And so if you're wondering what that is, uh, praise God, that's just a beagle, uh, Chipper the beagle saying amen. Praise God. And uh, one thing that I failed to do last week that I want to make sure I do this week, and, and that is uh, to, say, uh, to say thank you to everyone who is 
uh, taking their time to come and be present at Heritage Feast classes. But also a special thank you to all of you who are joining us on uh, live streaming and Facebook Live. Um, I have just really been so humbled uh, by the number of people who uh, have either viewed a portion of, of the class or watched it entirely, um, either live or uh, later. And then also, um, thank you, uh, there's a lot of alumni out there um, who has you know, shared some really encouraging comments about how the Lord has used these classes uh, in, in their lives uh, over the years uh, to make a difference. Uh, in, in their lives, but again, these classes are not just about what God's doing in you, but these classes are about what He wants to do in you so that He can then do more through you. And uh, so many times, even when we begin these classes or in these classes, we'll pray, uh, giving thanks to God for all the people in the future who are going to be impacted by you because of the commitment that you've made to, to grow and to learn and to uh, you know be a disciple and also... Uh, because remember what we said, it takes a disciple to make a disciple. You can't make one if you're not one yourself. And uh, so thank you for those uh, kind uh, uh, remarks um, that you have made and posted. Uh, and also, um, a, a special thanks to everyone who has shared these classes uh, on Facebook. Um, I have, uh, I'm learning a lot about Facebook and the power of Facebook and the tool that it is. Um, and uh, it's because so many of you have been willing to share the class that it has uh, spread. And so again, uh, thank you uh, for that. And, um, and anyone who would like to help us uh, get these uh, classes in front of other people, we would uh, again appreciate uh, you putting forth the effort uh, to, to share these and to get the word out. Praise God. Amen. Now, um, when I was younger, and I knew I was called to preach. I really didn't have anybody to preach to and was praying all the time about opportunities to preach. I, I would rehearse sermons when no one was listening. I, I would, I, I, I kidded around and said I used to go and preach to pine trees out in the woods, you know, and um, practicing, I guess you could say. Uh, when Heritage was first born in June of 98, um, I was such a rookie at, um, at preparing sermons. It's funny, people ask me sometimes, they're like, Pastor Mark, I'm called to preach because you teach me how to prepare a sermon. I'm like, wow, not sure I'm qualified to do that, but I'll help you any way I can because back in those days, I would make notes on the sermon. Then I had a, a little small micro cassette recorder. I would preach the sermon from the notes into the micro recorder. Then I would listen to the sermon and make notes from what I preached and then use those notes to go actually preach to, to other people. So preaching without someone in the room is not new to me, um, but uh, this is, again, new experience, and I appreciate your patience uh, with me as I, uh, as I get accustomed to it. The other thing, too, and I was um, just in, in prayer about this and thinking about this moment, um, for some reason the Lord reminded me of, uh, you know, just take a deep breath, uh, when I was in Kenya, it's the first time I'd ever preached with an interpreter. And um, so that was a new experience for me, but I, I got used to it. As a matter of fact, Pastor Cornelius, he may be watching from 
Kenya tonight, or watch this later. Um, he was my interpreter, and man, we just flowed together. What a blessing that brother! Um, we just the Lord knitted our hearts together, and and, and we've been brothers ever since. And um, he pastors Heritage Christian Center Kenya now there in, in Nairobi. But anyway, um, so he bailed me out because. We did an altar call, and it was like we were in a soccer field, and it was people as far as you could see. Uh, I'm, I, that's an exaggeration. When I say as far as you could see, the, the lighting, it was at night, and there were, let's just say, a lot of people there. I don't want to get into exaggeration, but what happened when I gave the altar call, what just so excited me and thrilled me, was the number of people who came forward to be born again. I mean, it was just, let's just say, the most folks I had ever had the opportunity to personally pray with and, and lead uh, in, into uh, the new birth and, and being born of the Spirit. And so I got so excited, you know, I did the whole pray after me, and um, it was a rookie mistake. <laughs> so, but I got so excited, I, I, um, I said, you know, Father God, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus, and, and then... I didn't wait because some of the folks, you know, spoke English, so they just kind of jumped right in. But I didn't wait for the interpreter, uh, you know, to interpret what I said. I was just like just so raring to go to get these folks born again. But of course, Cornelius bailed me out, being the professional that he is. And so, anyway, the Lord kind of reminded me of that. You know, it was just a rookie mistake. And so, um, again, thank you for bearing with me tonight as as we dig into the Word together. And um, I believe that Father's going to do something very beautiful um, in our lives. Praise God. All right, by way of review, we've been in this first section talking about basically what discipleship is. And I, I think that so many in the body of Christ have uh, either little to no understanding or misunderstanding about discipleship, or maybe I should say limited understanding. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of times people think of discipleship as 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 being small groups now don't misunderstand me a lot of discipling and discipleship can take place in small groups but attending a small group is is not the same thing necessarily as discipleship it can certainly be a, a tremendous help and, and, a, and a tremendous what's the right word tool uh, to facilitate discipleship in other words a lot of disciples are made in small group environments but just because we fellowship with other believers, that's not necessarily as important as it is. It's not necessarily discipleship. And then a lot of a lot of churches they they do like a new converts class or a new membership class where you're new to their church or new to their denomination or maybe just got born again, and they send you through you know maybe 12 weeks classes to kind of orient you to the church and, and to the new birth and that sort of thing. Again, all of that's extremely important. But if that's the only thing we think of. When it comes to discipleship, then we are, we're, we're again, woefully limited because it's so much, so, so much more. And God's intentions and purposes for discipleship is so much more than that. One of the things the Lord told us when we started Heritage, He said that if we would do His thing and that if we would do it His way, we could expect His results. So God's thing, God's way, God's results. And He showed me in that simple instruction, He showed me how... That, a, that like there are a lot of people, take water baptism for an example. Water baptism is God's thing. Total immersion in water is God's way. And then of course God's results um, from that and His purposes for that, you know, inwardly and outwardly in, in a man or woman's life. Uh, praise and worship is another example. Um, praise and worship is God's thing. 
but a lot of people want to do it their way um, as opposed to the way that God has instructed for us to worship Him in His Word. Um, and so discipleship is a lot like that. Discipleship is God's thing. I mean, God designed it. Uh, it it's, it's His, um, you know, it serves His purposes in our lives and ultimately in the earth. Um, and so a lot of people, you know, take God's thing, discipleship, but they want to try to do it their way and make it to be less than or something other than God ever meant for it to be, Father ever meant for it to be. And so we really need to, you know, again, understand this. And so you know, that's why we've tried to take the time in the beginning of these classes uh, to, to really give an overview of discipleship and, and to just, I think, broaden our understanding of it, but also help us understand God's purposes for it. So the first thing we said that discipleship is more than this, but if discipleship is anything, discipleship is a commitment. We even said it's an uncommon commitment. And uh, we looked at the verses that the Apostle Paul used talking about the uncommon commitment that a world-class athlete uh, would make uh, for a perishable crown. We also looked at some passages uh, where Jesus said to folks who believed in Him, in other words, the faith that, that Father God gave to every human being was awakened or aroused in them when they heard Jesus speak or saw Jesus do some things that they couldn't explain. And then Jesus tried to draw them into a deeper commitment with Him when He said, if you continue in My Word, you'll be My disciples indeed, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And of course, we know that particular group of people were not willing to make that commitment. They, their response was, we're not in bondage and became offended um, at the deliverer. They, they actually became offended at the very person that God was had put in their lives, Jesus in this case, uh, to help them. And uh, it's one of the things, Sister Pam and I, we, we were listening to uh, a sermon on the way down to Lakeland by Jesse Duplantis from the Southwest Believers Convention. And he was talking about how you know, God raised up Samson uh, to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And when the, uh, the Philistines um, were surrounding Israel, uh, I think it was like 3,000 Israelites went to, um, to Samson to try to bind him and turn him over. In other words, they were, they were very critical and it actually attacked Samson, um, the very one that God had put in their lives to deliver them from the Philistines. And so I've seen that. I know that you have, other ministers have. You know, some of you have probably experienced that personally. You know, the, the fact that, that God has, has put me in someone's life to help them, and, um, and they became offended uh, and actually, you know, turn around and attack you. Uh, it was a very powerful message. Really, really touched my heart, really ministered to me over some things that, that, um, that I've been through lately as a pastor. So anyway, but... Um, so again, Jesus said, look, if you continue in my word, you be my disciples indeed. So they believed, the scriptures say that they believed in Jesus, but they did, their commitment went no further than that in the sense that they were not willing to make any kind of a commitment. The second thing we've said about discipleship is that discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. A process intended to reveal Christ in us. Now, um, again, there's a lot. I don't, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time reviewing tonight because we've got some other things um, to talk about. But one of the key verses um, in, in that section last week was from Luke chapter 6, verse 40, where it says, A disciple is not above his teacher or master, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be just like his teacher or master. And so we broke down some of those Greek words, didasko, manthano, methetes, methetes, methetria. 
And those are the, the, the nuts and bolts words from the original language that really help us understand discipleship. And of course, we said that, that um, didasco is when someone teaches for the purpose of, of, of literally reproducing themselves in the one that's being taught. And, uh, uh, and, and manthano is when we put forth an intense effort to learn uh, by experience. And so uh, discipleship is, uh, again, an uncommon commitment. It's about experiential learning, not just head knowledge, not, not just being able to regurgitate information, but it's allowing Jesus by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to lead us into an experience of who He is and, and, and what He's created us. And of course, all you have to do is read the Gospels and, and you see how Jesus, of course, the ultimate disciple maker, um, how He did that. Of course, we then looked in the book of Acts where we see Jesus in heaven, the Holy Spirit's poured out on the earth, a group of people get born again, Greek people uh, for that matter, and, and yet they were discipled uh, using the Holy Spirit used Paul and Barnabas. They were discipled. Christ was assimilated in them to the point that people began to call them Christians or Christ-like or as we would say, Christians. And so, again, through the new birth, Jesus now lives in you um, and discipleship is about the inward reality of Him living in you, the inward reality of a new birth becoming an outward expression of life. And uh, so again, discipleship is intended not to make us like Jesus. The new birth is what made us like Him. It's to reveal um, uh, Jesus. In, in other words, what's already true about you inwardly through, and I think we've pointed this out already, but uh, a root word of our English word disciple is the word discipline. And it's, it's through the discipline of discipleship that um, this inward reality becomes an outward expression. Uh, of our daily lives. I, I, let me say that another way too because I don't want to frame that as like some negative thing because what we're really talking about is experiencing and enjoying um, everything that you are and everything that you've been given as a child of God. And so anyway, there's, we'll talk about that in, in greater detail in, in classes ahead. Uh, but it is again a key factor of discipleship. And so again, I'm being uh, repetitive here. Some of these verses are so, so, so important. Uh, Romans 8 says that it was our destiny from the very beginning, from before the beginning, that God the Father created us to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And then 1 John 4 and 17, um, this is the one that uh, last week in class, Amy and, and, and uh, myself, we almost got raptured over. But uh, it, the Bible there says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. And um, so we were born of His Spirit. We've been reproduced from His seed. And as I love to say, my favorite definition of discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, last week we ended... That's enough reviewing for now. But last week we, we ended on point number three about discipleship. And we said that discipleship is an attitude. Discipleship is an attitude. So discipleship is an uncommon commitment. Discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. And then number three, discipleship is an attitude. Discipleship is an attitude. Now, let's just talk for a few minutes about attitude and the importance of attitude. Um, I love words, and words, of course, are containers that carry meaning. Um, as Shakespeare said, a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet, but the letters R-O-S-C not only give us the image of the flower, but 
Um, if you've ever smelt a rose, then, then it communicates even um, the aroma, the smell of a rose. When I say the word, uh, when I say dog to you, you don't see the letters D-O-G. You imagine what a dog looks like, you know, in your mind. And so when we say the word attitude, I love to define words and, and especially to in really concise ways that people can connect with. But attitude, it's one of the more challenging, if not the most challenging word that I've ever tried to define. And um, not that I've given up, I'll keep swinging at it, but one of the things I do say about attitude is um, it's hard to define, but we all know one when we see one. And, and it was, we know a good one when we see a good one, and we know a bad one when we see a bad one. And so attitude has to do with our mindset. It has to do with, with our perspective, how we see things or how we look at things that are most importantly, and this is, I think, why attitude is so important is because your attitude towards a thing or towards a person determines your response. Um, so if you have a bad attitude towards me, let's just say you know somebody who doesn't like me, um, and I'm sure there's no one out there who doesn't like Pastor Mark, <laughs> LOL, but anyway, let's just say that there's somebody out there who doesn't, who doesn't like me, and you've never met me, and that person tells you some things about me that's not true, and it forms an attitude or an opinion uh, in you about me, well, notice how your opinion of me is going to determine how you respond to me, and it will until uh, your opinion of me changes. So this is why attitude is so important, because response and how you respond to things is so important. Um, we can't control what other people do and say and decide, but we can control how we respond, right? And, and, if, and if we will allow the Holy Spirit to help us in the way we respond, what we say and do, even people who are persecuting us, even people who are mistreating us and have wronged us, if our attitude towards them, in other words, our response, our perspective on, on that situation, um, we, we can maintain, when I say control, obviously we're surrendering control of our life to God, but, but so many times people hurt us and the, and the hurt and, and the offense of it becomes a controlling factor in our lives where if, our, if we keep our attitude right and how we respond, now all of a sudden um, we're, we're back in control and, and not the enemy and, and, and Him using other people and other situations in our lives. So the, 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 our attitude, for instance, towards God, our attitude towards His Word, our, our attitude towards the life that He created us to live, um, it, all of these things determine our response. Or another way we could say it is, your attitude is reflected in your response. Um, and there, was, there are a lot of people who, you know, you know, one of my favorites is, you know, oh, you know, God is my life. You know, people say, oh, God is my life, you know. Uh, and, and a lot of times those same people say it like, you know, the good, the good book, you know, talk about the Bible, and the man upstairs, you know. And um, some of you who've heard me say this before, you know that I'm not real fond of those terminologies, okay. Um, he's holy, holy, holy. He's the Lord God Almighty. The man upstairs is the guy in the apartment above you who plays his music too loud. To Kill a Mockingbird is a good book. Um, we're talking about the Holy Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of times people just say things like, oh, God is my life, you know, um, but their attitude, in other words, their response to God and their commitment to Him does not reflect that. So your true attitude towards a thing will be reflected um, in your response. And so you know, have to be careful because the Bible talks about three kinds of deception, you know, where the devil deceives us or where another person deceives us or where we deceive ourselves. 
and, uh, and a lot of times I think we deceive ourselves in, in thinking that, you know, like making a statement, you know, God's my everything. Um, and, uh, and yet um, there are a thousand things sometimes that are more important to us than our relationship with Him. Anyway, enough of all that. I'm just trying to help you get a better, a broader concept of when we say discipleship is an attitude. Um, let me give you another one. And, and, and this one helped me. Something the Lord showed me a long time ago. As a matter of fact, when it just so happened when I preached this on a Sunday morning, there, there was a medical doctor uh, in, in visiting that Sunday morning, uh, friends with uh, Pastor Rick's daughter, Charity Sandretto. Anyway, um, he's, he actually is uh, OBGYN and delivers babies. And he, I think he may have also been a pilot. And so I use the, uh, the, the pilot or the aviation definition of attitude. And he came up to me afterwards and shared with me um, the medical definition as well. But let's talk about attitude as it relates to aviation. Um, um, you hear of of people who fly airplanes by by instruments, and then you know an instrument-rated pilot is different from a pilot who maybe like a hobbyist or someone who's not instrument-rated. If you're not instrument-rated, that means you have to fly where you can see the ground. Um, if you if you get in uh, to clouds and things of that nature where you can no longer see, then you you have to rely upon your instruments to fly the plane. Um, so you're not really flying blind; you're flying uh, by the the instrument panel. And um, so not every pilot, is my understanding, unless that's changed, uh, not every pilot is an instrument rated pilot. But anyway, I may be wrong with that. If I am, forgive me. If I've offended pilots, I don't see the. Uh, my Facebook lighting up, or I mean my uh, iMessage lighting up. So anyway, but let's, um, anyway, let me get back to that. So there's an instrument on the dashboard of an airplane that reveals the attitude of the airplane, the attitude of the airplane. And the idea of the, um, the attitude of the airplane is it has to do with the orientation of that plane or the position of that plane in the air relative to the horizon or to simplify it, let's say relative to a, a fixed object. Um, my, my dad has a friend um, who's a pilot and, um, and he got in, as they say, the soup and he couldn't see the ground. And it, it's possible to become so disoriented. As a, as a matter of fact, John F. Kennedy Jr., um, the same thing happened to him. If you remember, he got in, in, in zero visibility and wound up flying his plane into the, into the ocean. Um, and pilots who've been in that situation tell me that you know you just about guarantee that, that your plane is level when it's not, um, that you can become so disoriented. So the attitude of the plane is the position of the plane as it is relative to the horizon or relative to a fixed position. So anyway, I was telling you about my dad, my dad's friend rather, he was in a plane and, and he could flying and he no lost visibility. And uh, I thought this was so cool. It, my, I was just a young guy when my dad told me this story, um, but he, he, he took his necklace off and hung it up in the plane. And, um, and that provided, in other words, he, he had to balance the plane out so that his necklace hung straight up and down. He used that uh, to, to get the plane leveled out until he could get it landed safely. So the, again, the attitude of the plane has to do with its position relative to something else. And so when we talk about our attitude, 
um, we're talking about our position um, or the direction that we're traveling in life relative to the only fixed position that really matters and that's our Heavenly Father that's that's him remember he's the same yesterday today and forever and so not only does our attitude towards him and and, and the purposes for which he created us not not only are those um, there's a, reflected in our response to Him, our commitment to fulfilling those purposes, but it's, it's, it has to do with the navigation of our lives. In other words, it has to do with, with us being on course. And discipleship is, is, a, is about, in other words, when we say discipleship is an attitude, I don't, I don't just mean it's, it's a mindset, it's, it's a perspective on life, it's, it's a life orientation. Um, it's, it's living our lives relative to the fixed position of God's eternal will, plan, and purpose for your life and for mine. Um, and again, I got a little bit ahead of myself when I brought in that word eternal. But God created you for an eternal purpose. And that's, that's the fixed position, if you will. That's the thing that, that never changes. Now, you, you may veer off course. You, you may turn your life and fly upside down. You may fly as hard and fast away from God um, as, as you can. But, you know, what He has for you and the purposes and plans that He created you to fulfill never change. And so when we say discipleship is an attitude, um, we're not just talking about having a good attitude towards God or a good attitude towards those things. That's important. Um, but we're talking about, you know, that, that north star, so to speak, that, that thing by which you can navigate your life with, you know, allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to align your life with, and then you can fly, you know, you can, you can complete your course and ministry. Remember the Apostle Paul, um, through your attitude, uh, you know, towards those plans and purposes. Praise God. So, uh, to simplify, um, attitude is about your alignment with uh, God and His purposes for your life. How you have, or how you are aligned uh, with Him. Now, um, we mentioned this last week, and I like to write these words on the dry erase board. Obviously, I'm not in a position to do that right now, so I'll spell the words for you. Um, the words rhyme, and if you don't really, uh, you know, overpronounce them, um, they almost sound like I'm saying the same word. But the two words are the words um, aptitude, and that's um, A P P is in Paul A P T I T U D E ap aptitude aptitude. And then also the word attitude, attitude. That's the one we've been already saying tonight. So two words, very related, one letter difference, A-P-T-I-T-U-D-E, A-T-T-I-T-U-D-E, aptitude and attitude, all right? Now, these words are extremely important in, in understanding how they um, relate to one another, especially when it comes to discipleship. And, and really, it's true about a lot of things that God's created. So when we talk about um, our our aptitude, we're talking about our inherent ability. In, in other words, we're talking about the potential that we possess based upon, you know, what, how God created us, the gifts that He, that he has. Um, you know, um, I'm tall, uh, but I do not have the aptitude uh, to be uh, an, an NBA basketball player. Okay, I've got the height for it. But there's a, a lot more inherent ability required, uh, if you understand what I mean. Okay, um, 
So we, we talk about aptitude, we're talking about what we have the God-given ability um, to accomplish or to fulfill um, or, or, you know, to, I guess we could say, live up to. Um, now, attitude, on the other hand, again, is this, is this, this mindset, it's, this, it's how we respond. And um, so, this is the simplest way in school to, to explain how these two relate together. Um, there are a lot of people who have the aptitude uh, to, in other words, the ability to make better grades in school than they made. Um, so why did they not, let's say, make straight A's or A's and B's, instead they made C's and D's. Had the ability to make better grades, but they didn't have the attitude to correspond with the aptitude. They, they, they didn't have the mindset, they didn't have the focus, they didn't have the, you know, the aligning themselves uh, with um, the things that were before them in school. Now listen, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sharing that. I know uh, there's, there's probably some students, college students, high school students that are watching this right now. Probably the majority of people who, who are part of these classes um, are in these classes because they're wanting a second run at, at, at learning and growing in, in life. In other words, you're not in high school or college anymore. So I'm not trying to, if that was you and you had the, the aptitude to be a better student, but not the attitude, um, don't, don't let me discourage you about that or, or cause any kind of regret. I'm just using it as an example. Now, let's go back to a verse we've already mentioned. And I know I haven't had you turn anywhere in the Word yet. We'll, we'll get there in a moment. But um, again, it was in John 8 where Jesus said, If you continue in my Word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Let me, um, let me take a moment to try to explain to you why that simple statement from Jesus is such an important statement. Um, he said, basically, you know, what, what's so important is our attitude towards His Word. Now, if you, go, if you misunderstand what I'm saying, go out of here saying, well, Pastor Mark said your attitude toward God's not important. No, 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 no. That, our attitude towards Him is extremely important. Uber important, okay? But when we talk about our attitude towards God, that, remember what I go when we said, you know, God is my everything. You know, God is, God is my life. You know, um, it's very easy for people to say that and be deceived into thinking that they have this wonderful commitment to God, this wonderful attitude towards God. Um, but where your real attitude towards Him is measured is in hearing what He has to say and then applying it to your life, hearing and doing, hearing and doing, okay? Hearing and doing the Word of God. Remember, those folks in John 8, they watched Jesus stand up to bullies. They watched Jesus show mercy and compassion to someone who was being publicly embarrassed. They watched Jesus do things that impressed them. And so they're like, man, you know, shooting Jesus some love. You know, what's that song, Jesus is just all right with me, you know? And, and they kind of had that, you know, hang loose, shout out to Black Brazil and Hawaii, you know, uh, attitude, um, you know, towards Jesus. And so Jesus is like, not that that was a bad thing, but Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. And notice, this is when their true attitude towards Him was revealed. 
um, their true attitude was revealed when he suggested that they needed to learn some things they didn't know, they needed to be corrected in some areas where they were wrong, and that they needed to, to, to have some understanding about things that, that they didn't have yet. And they became offended at that. So I'm not, I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but you know, if, if we will just, let's just, if this will make you feel better, let's say it this way. If you'll just focus for now on your attitude and response to what God has said, His Word, Okay, um, that that will do wonders in our lives, um, where discipleship is concerned, where growth is concerned, and and ultimately where our attitude towards Him and our understanding of, of who He is, His heart and nature, and desires for us, um, you know, really are are found. Okay, um, let's let's do this for a moment. All right. Um, If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and this is where you know the recorded history of the earth begins, as far as the Word of God is concerned, um, you know we know that Adam and Eve um, sinned. We know that God came into the garden. He made them some permanent coverings. He made them. They made clothing out of out of fig leaves. And then you know, God's like, that's only temporary. Let me make you something a little better than that. And so God made up some clothes um, out of animal skins and. Um, and of course he said um, now am I the only one I don't know if y'all heard Chip or the Beagle I said God made clothes out of animal skins and, and anyway uh, it's almost like Chipper on Cuse uh, gave us a howl but anyway if you didn't hear that I probably just sounded really stupid if you did hear it you're probably laughing right now but anyway so we see that that, um, that also God did what God does uh, in, in these kinds of situations, he begins to release things by speaking and what he's trained me and you to do, to release things by speaking. And so he began to speak of a day when seed would come from a woman. Seed would come from a woman. And of course, we know that Father God was speaking prophetically of the day that Jesus would be born of the Virgin Mary. Of course, seed doesn't come from a woman. Seed comes from a man. But God was speaking, for lack of a better way of saying it, he was speaking in code when he said, that seed comes from the seed would come from a woman that would crush the head of the serpent, and so of course we waited a long, long time for Jesus to get here. And after the last prophet in the Old Testament, there was hundreds of years of silence before the first prophet uh, was was speaking in the New Testament. This was John the Baptist. His ministry was um, recorded in the New Testament, but he was the last of an era. He he was John the Baptist was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, but also the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus ushered in a new day. Um, and, and so prophets in the New Testament, yes, absolutely, but it's a, a different um, a different office. A, 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 it's a revamped um, uh, ministry in the, 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 the office or ministry of the prophet in the New Testament. I'm not here to teach on that tonight, but anyway. Um, so Jesus arrives, but if you understand, um, because he was born of a virgin, born under the law, he did not begin his public ministry until he was 30 years old. So we waited thousands of years. Then heaven was silent for uh, hundreds of years. Then Jesus shows up. Thank God he did. But now we've got to wait three more decades, 30 more years, 
um, before he actually opens his mouth and begins to speak. Now, the Bible tells us in John, the first chapter, that, um, matter of fact, let's just turn there. Praise God. I've got my Bible open to some other verses, but let's let's turn to John 1. Um, sometimes I get on a roll and I forget to direct you to these scriptures. Um, that's why we make, you know, we record these. Uh, the video will be uploaded on, on Mark Winslet uh, Facebook page. It's public, but I'll be happy to make you a friend if, if, uh, if you'd like to be my friend. Praise God. But anyway, um, and uh, we also, the audio recordings will be on the podcast. Uh, so, I apologize if I'm going way too fast here. But uh, anyway, John chapter 1, verse 1. Um, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, uh, and the Word was God. And if you'll notice in your, in your Bible that the W in the word, Word, is capitalized. It's because this is speaking of Jesus. And um, it says that Jesus, He, the Word, um, was in the beginning with God, and that all things were, were made uh, through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. He goes, he goes on to say that the Word was made flesh and, um, and dwelt among us. This, was, this is in verse 14, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His, beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this is a spiritual truth that you, your meat computer can't process it, but you can understand it by faith with your heart. That Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. So do you see when we talk about our attitude towards, towards God's Word um, and our attitude towards God basically being the same thing, it's, it's because Jesus is God. He's the eternal Son of God. Um, and so He became flesh. Now, let me try to put this in a way that you can understand it, okay? Right now, and obviously more so but than this in Jesus' name by the Spirit of God, but, but what I'm saying to you right now, it's, um, it's coming from thoughts in my heart and mind and then I'm conveying that, I'm, I'm imparting that to you through, um, through spoken words. And so those words then are taking what's originating inside of me, it's bringing it forth outside from, from within me out through the conduit, through a pipeline, if you will, of communication, words, are conveying those meaning in those meanings in into you, so they're coming to you in word form. Now you can like be thinking about supper or what you're going to do later, and not even be listening to me right now. I mean, you hear me, but not listening. But if you're listening, then these words are creating thoughts now in in you that have gone from outside of you into you. Okay, so words then are containers that reveal. Um, what begins as thoughts. So, when we say that Jesus was the Word made flesh and He came and dwelt among us, this means that Jesus, and this is, oh man, you got to get this now. This is important. This means that Jesus is, I want to say was, but He still is, a living, breathing expression of, 
of the divine mind. In other words, Jesus is what God is thinking living among us. Hebrews says that He is the express image of God's glory. John 14 says that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Uh, those are verses we'll look at in greater detail in classes to come. But I'm just I'm trying to help you wrap your heart around, your faith around, Jesus being the Word of God made flesh. Do you remember last week we looked at the passage um, out of Ephesians, I think it's 4, um, where He said, you have not so learned Christ as the truth is in Jesus. So again, the idea is that Jesus lived in front of us the heart and mind of God, so much so that His very life became a living expression of, of who God is and what He's like. His very person, His very nature, His very character. That's why I told you last week that if you have some idea about God that can't be found in the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus, then it's, it's not God. Um, period. And I... Amen, and, and so be it. Amen. But that's just the truth. That's, I'm, I'm trying to offend that. Again, that's back to that your attitude. See? Um, if, if, if you're flying off thinking that God uh, makes babies sick uh, to teach them a lesson, I, I have a, a, a dear friend whose, whose husband is healed in Jesus' name from a, from a, a, a very serious disease. Um, and they're confessing healing and standing on the Word, and I I'm, I'm thank God for them. But... Um, she told me the other day that she was in a uh, in a doctor's office. Uh, carried her husband to a doctor's appointment, and there was this um, I can't call her sister. If she's a sister, Father, forgive me. But this this lady who was there, and she had the audacity to look at my friend and say, "What terrible sin do you think your husband committed for God to afflict him with this disease?" Now, listen to me, please. Don't. I, I could go the rest of our time together tonight on this. I, I could go off on, on that because that is, that's a, that's a lot of things and wrong is among them. Uh, judgmental is among them. I got in the flesh when she told me that. I, I said, you should have looked her in the eye and said, you are more sick than my husband will ever be, lady. But anyway, just God redeem my mind there, but praise God because she has a sickness of the soul. Help her, Jesus. Help that woman, Lord, because she... See, she has an attitude. This is what I'm trying to help you see attitude here. Um, she has an attitude. She's flying upside down thinking that God is behind something that God's not behind. Um, and, and you say, well, Pastor Mark, how can you be so certain about those things? Again, not trying to get all controversial with however many thousand folks or whatever watching tonight. Um, but I, I wouldn't just fly off the handle and say these things because they're you know, just some sacred cow that I have. The Word of God plainly teaches this. But again, you've not so learned Christ. Who did Jesus ever make sick to punish? Um, we don't see that in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Um, on the other hand, we see that He healed them all. Um, we see every time. Again, He's a living, breathing expression of the true heart, true nature, true mind, true character of God. Don't be offended at that. Don't be offended at that. And again, if if that's, if that's your attitude, your opinion, and you say, well, Pastor Mark, that's your attitude, that's your opinion, and, and I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. Well, see, I appreciate that, and, and you pray for me and I'll pray for you if you disagree with me, but 
But God's not confused. In, in, in other words, God is... That was one of the things that, that happened to me many years ago when I didn't think I would ever preach or teach again. It's a long story. I'll maybe go into it at a later time. But, um, but I did want to know the truth. I, I see so many people that are confused. Pastors, denominations, entire you know, factions or whatever uh, of, of religion or Christianity that you know, so confused about things. And I knew, I said, Father, you're not confused. You know, I mean, some people say the baptism of the Holy Spirit's for today. Some people say it's not. Some people say it's for everybody. Some people say you got to be saved, and if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. There's all kinds of opinions about this, and I'm like, Lord, there's only one truth, and that, and that's that's my heart's desire tonight is just to know that truth and be able to pass it along to you, um, but also show it to you um, over and over again in Scripture, and then go to the Scriptures that people point to that they believe contradict and and help expound and make the sense of those scriptures. And we'll do that. This is this is class three, by the way. Amen. We got, uh, after this one, 33 more classes at roughly another 60 plus hours together. We'll get to all that. Um, but again, I'm just trying to show you an example that you can have an attitude towards God's Word that carries you away from Him. You're, you're flying into the towards a mountain. You know, you're about to crash. Um, where the right attitude is going to bring us into alignment with God and His desires for um, our lives. So, again, Jesus is a living, breathing expression of the mind of God. Um, if you want to know what God thinks about something, look at the life of Jesus. Uh, and So notice um, His actions. We, we often say actions speak louder than words. Well, yes and no, but Jesus is both. He is... God in the flesh among us speaking and not just speaking by using His voice but speaking by living the life that He lived. And it's that's why the four Gospels are such a treasure to us um, because Jesus reveals God the Father to us um, and, and who He really is and, 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 and how He really thinks. Um, you want to know what God thinks about racism? Look at how Jesus dealt with it. You want to see what God thinks about children? You want to think, see what, how God responds to people who are caught in the very act of sin? Um, you see all of that in the life of Jesus and how He dealt with it. And, it's, and again, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So when we talk about um, Jesus, His first sermon, it's uh, simply called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' first public sermon. And I think, obviously, the content of it is extremely important. If you haven't studied that, you need to. You need to study that because Jesus is... Remember, Jesus came to reveal hidden truth to us. He came to tell us things about God and about ourselves that had been hidden from the foundations of the world. Things that... that Abraham never knew. Moses never knew. David never knew. And Solomon, all of his wisdom, it was never revealed to Solomon. Things that Jesus came to tell us, things that Jesus came, things that Jesus came to teach us and, and reveal to us that had never been revealed, never been spoken, uh, never been heard by human ears on this planet. Alright? And so again, the importance of this cannot be expressed. Um, it's I, I said all that, and it's a perfect time for me to say this as well. 
if you go to the end, this is the beginning. The Sermon on the Mount is, is where Jesus begins to speak. If you go to the end in John the 17th chapter, well really it begins uh, chapter 13 uh, moving forward, um, you have the things that Jesus is saying knowing His death was imminent, knowing that um, He only had so many hours left um, to speak into His disciples. Um, and obviously, you know, we might could stretch this too far, but when we talk about, you know, someone's final words, um, you, you know, you hear about people who who know that their time on earth is very is has is you know they're down to their last few days, a few hours. How the focus of that, and I'm not trying to say that Jesus wasn't focused in other times, but you know, if you understand that what the, this final prayer that he's praying in John 17 that was recorded, again, what a treasure. Um, you you get some tremendous insight. But now, but let's go back. The first topic, or we could say the first point, or the first subject that Jesus covered. Now again, let's go back. God spoke in the garden, said He would come. Thousands of years later, many generations later, Jesus comes. We wait 30 more years for Him to speak. He opens His mouth. Think for a moment. Are the words that, that are about to come out of His mouth not going to be uber important? In other words, the first thing that He's about to say, the first thing He's going to address, the first thing He's going to deal with, there's, there's a priority here. It's undeniable. Alright? So what was it? We call them the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. The first points of Jesus' first public sermon, Beatitudes. Let me just simplify that if I could. Okay, First thing Jesus addressed was attitude. First thing Jesus... Um, dealt with, right, was um, you say, and, and we'll get to this in a moment, but you know, you say, well, wait a second, Pastor Mark, I thought he preached repentance. He did. But again, absent from the dry erase board tonight, let me spell the word for you. The original word in the Greek language transliterated into our English alphabet for the word repent is the word meta, M E T A, nous. N-O-U-S, metanous. Nous in Greek is speaking of mind. Meta is speaking of change. So when you combine meta and nous together, we get our English word repent. I thought for years, I was raised Southern Baptist, I thought repent meant stop sinning. I thought repent meant rededicate your life, you know, uh, do that 180 thing, you know, where you're headed in the wrong direction. Well, I mean, it is, don't misunderstand me. But metanous means repent means way more than stop sinning. He's talking, he's calling us to a, a new way of thinking, a new focus, a, a, a new perspective, a new mindset, dare I say it, a new attitude, right? So repent is is don't don't you can't keep thinking like you've always thought. That's that was basically what Jesus was um was saying, Amen. When when he said repent, and then of course we see that he got into some really uh, definitive 
uh, nuts and bolts, if you will, in that first sermon. Second sub, second point, second topic that Jesus addressed, again, I believe there is such an important uh, priority in that. He talked about attitude first. He talked about identity second. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Um, in other words, God was speaking. To, Jesus went to the Jews first. He was speaking to God's people. Speaking to you and me, obviously, clearly tonight as well about these things. He's like, you, you don't know who you are. You, you don't understand your value. You don't understand your worth. You, you don't understand you know, what your life means to the plan of God being played out on this, on this earth, on this planet. Um, so attitude, identity. Right? So again, these things, uber, 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 uber important. Um, let's do this. Um, let's go to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew chapter 6. And um, let's, uh, let's look at a passage that, um, that actually deals with a spiritual law. A passage that deals with a spiritual law. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 22. Let me get me a drink of water while you're finding that passage. And this is, um, you know, all part of this, of this sermon, right? I mean, it's all part... Of, uh, of this teaching, if you will, that Jesus gave. Um, and so, Matthew uh, chapter 6, uh, of course, you know, Jesus begins um, by uh, talking about giving. He said, not if you give, but when, and gave us some important instructions on that. Then, not if you pray, but when you pray, and gave us some instructions on prayer. Really important stuff. Then, are you ready for this one? Not if you fast, but when you fast. And in other words, his, what is he communicating here? His full expectation that we're going to be people who are givers, people who pray, and people who fast. He then goes into the importance of laying up for ourselves treasures uh, in heaven as opposed to laying up for ourselves treasures on the earth. Now, he then says in verse 21, Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Let me read verse 24 also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And um, mammon is referring to like money. And, and money is this world's God substitute of choice. When we lost our heart connection with God, we lost everything that we were meant to have in our lives uh, and receive into our lives through that heart connection. So when we lost that connection, um, we look for a substitute. In other words, to try to fill in what we lost. Um, and it's like security, for example. Um, we're, we're meant to get our security from our trust in God. But when we 
lost our heart connection with God, we're looking for security. Many people try to find that in money. Um, so, if, if you start at verse 24 and work your way back up, there, all of these um, passages are establishing individual truths. In other words, we could take just one phrase from one verse and, and do a, learn a lot that would apply to our lives. But we also see that in addition to each one of them establishing truth, that these truths mesh together. They, they're, they're painting uh, their individual pieces of, of a bigger picture or individual pieces of a puzzle that come together uh, you know, for us to understand things about life and living the way God created us to live. So the first thing, of course, is we've, we've got to recognize that we're in this world but not of it. And we're living on earth while focused on eternity or focused on heaven. Not just life in eternity, but the realm of the Spirit that, that faith connects us to. Your five physical senses connect you to this physical environment. But there's more to life than meets the eye. Um, we the just live by faith. So faith is that sixth sense that connects us to the unseen realm of the Spirit. So he says, don't, don't live just with this world in mind. Again, notice the, the, the idea here is focus or attitude. If we align our lives, orient our lives with just the things that are around us, circumstances, things that stand around you in a circle, things that you can see, then if we orient our lives, align our lives with those things, we're going to miss um, altogether what, what God has for us. Let's go back. When Jesus says, repent for the kingdom is at hand, He's trying to get people to, to turn, to shift their focus, or else they're going to miss everything He came to do for them. It's kind of like um, if you're facing this direction and looking this way, um, and everything that Jesus is trying to do in your life is behind you this way, you're going to miss it unless you, sh you shift, unless you, you realign your focus, your attitude. So if your attitude towards Him and His Word is, is one of... And there are a lot of people who say, you know, man, God's Word's outdated, it's, it, it needs to be adjusted to, to, to compensate for modern life and all this other stuff. There's all kinds of crazy things that people say. So in other words, their focus is opposite to which means they're looking for God to do something in their life. And God is trying to do something in their life. It's just their focus is, has been skewed. And, and they're missing it. They're not seeing it. Um, it. It's some of the saddest words in the Bible. If we'd have kept reading there in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus came to His own people, but His own people did not receive Him. His own people rejected Him. And, um, but as many as received Him, that's me and you, right? He gave the power, the right, the privilege to be called sons of God. Uh, the authority to be sons of God. The power, the ability to be sons of God. So, so think, think about you know, what he's saying there, again, as it, as it applies to attitude. Like, for instance, some people said, um, who does Jesus think He is? You know, is this not Mary and Joseph's son? Is He not the carpenter's son? Where does he get these things? See, notice their attitude towards him is, you know, he's up in here trying to tell us how to live our lives, and I changed his diaper, I, I, I babysat him, uh, him and his daddy made my kitchen table. You know, so 
their attitude was that he's just a man. He he he's no different or no better or no you know nothing more than any of us. And so because of that, they they low what's the right way to say it? They had low esteem or they they valued they placed a very low value on on what he had to say. Um, but now compare that to people who said, "Where like remember we said Peter said, uh, Jesus, where else can we go to hear what you're saying? You have the words of life." And so there were people who hung on every word that Jesus said. While others are like, "What's the big deal? I knew him when he was a kid." Blah blah blah. Notice what's the difference? Attitude, attitude, right? So anyway, back to our passage in Matthew six. Do not lay up to yourself treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, live with a with the focus that there's more going on than what you know you can see, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I I preached um, on Sunday. The titles of the message you can access them on the podcast or on uh, Vimeo. Titles of the messages are, are unrestricted, part one and two, and 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 Paul said to the Corinthians and to you and me, he said, "You're restricted, but not by us." He said, "You're restricted by your own affections," and and that word "restrict" there is talking about being held back. It's 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 like there's some unseen force that that you can't break through. Um, the Lord asked us a really important question end of 2017 and we've we've carried it through now into 2018. Um, he asked, he said, don't you want to know what kind of life is on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? Don't you want to know what kind of life is on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? Now, the more I grow in the things of God, there are times that, that um, you know, I certainly have hit a wall in my life in many different, you know, as I've journeyed, as I've continued to grow. And, and um, what happens, you hit a wall, but through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, or even other people, their lives, whatever, you catch a glimpse of what's on the other side, but it's like you can't seem to break through it, right? So where does that wall come from? Well, it's very easy for us to say the devil or it's very easy for us to say that it's God somehow holding us back. And he gave me a real simple word for Sunday, and I want to pass that along. Some of you already heard this, but um, is that God, God will not hold you back, and the devil cannot hold you back. God won't, and the devil can't. So there's three different, I guess we should say, folks or entities in this equation, right? God, the devil, or Mark. It's, 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 it's either him, it's either God, it's either the devil, or it's me. And if God is not holding me back and the devil can't hold me back, that only leaves me. And so it comes back to my affections, the affections of my heart. Okay? Now, watch this, okay? Because sometimes we think, well, you know, does that mean that I'm desiring sin? Well, it could be sin, it could just be that. You know, you're investing your time into other things. Um, <laughs> you you could be like if you're like me, you like to watch people on Home and Garden TV buy a house in France or you know whatever. 
Well, it's not that that's sinful, but if I've set my heart on those kinds of things, right? If Let me say it another way. Your treasure is what you value. It's, it's what you place a priority on. It's what matters most um, or more than something else in your life. That's your treasure. That's your priority. That's what you value. Okay. Now again, you can say, well, God is my life. God's my everything. But you know, does your checkbook reflect that? Does, does, your, uh, does your calendar and your schedule reflect that? The, the, in other words, the amount of time that you invest, right? Um, I have a Netflix account, okay? So don't misunderstand me, but, but man, it's easy to say the most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. Um, but if I spend more time binge-watching, uh, you know, DIY network shows, Again, I'm not trying to beat you up or shame you or condemn you. I'm just saying there's a reality to all of this. Now, when he's talking about treasuring things on this earth versus treasuring things of the Spirit, treasuring spiritual things, treasuring the things of God, valuing those things, making those things a, a priority in your life. Okay. Again, now we're kind of getting to some nuts and bolts about where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Now, sometimes, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, for years in my life, I didn't understand this the way Jesus, in other words, I wasn't picking up what He was putting down. I was thinking that, well, it's just, you know, it's my, you know, what my heart treasures. I mean, it's just what I like or what I enjoy or whatever. No, no, no. What He's saying here is that I determine what I treasure. In other words, I, it's my responsibility to set the priorities for my life. And by setting my affections, see the Bible says back to that, you're limited by your own affections. You know, we want to have more of God's goodness and fruitfulness in our lives, but but we're not, our attitude towards His Word, our attitude towards the Word, Jesus is the Word made flesh, right? And, and, and learning and studying and focusing on that Word, it, it, it's, let's just say it's not what it needs to be. And I'm not, listen, I'm, what's the old saying? If I point a finger to you, i got at least three more pointing back at me. Um, and, and that's something that, that I have really, with the Holy Spirit's help, been correcting in my life. Um, that was one of the things we did on our drive to Lakeland. Um, I've got the South 2018 Southwest Believers Convention on, on podcast, and man, Pam and I, we just um, we just saturated ourselves about a ten hour drive, and and um, we just saturated ourselves in just some of the most on time, word induced season, uh, spirit anointed preaching and teaching. Um, you know, I don't know if we spent exactly ten hours in the Word, but it was many many hours. Let's just say it that way, in the Word of God, and we've been doing that at the house and. And you know, working around the house, listening to it, my my AirPods, and so anyway, I'm I'm saying us, and I'm saying weans, right? Not not just you, me. But again, there's no substitute for what we make a priority of in our lives. If it's discipleship, is anything, it's a, it's an uncommon commitment. So, but there's a beautiful thing that happens when you set your affections, when you shift your affections. Uh, a simple way to say this is you make more room for God in your life. And so hats off, you know, 
again, wherever you are, you've been in a, in a class now for about an hour and 19 minutes on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, so good for you um, in, in the sense that you, you're, you've made it a priority. You've, you've made a commitment to this. And maybe when you first started, if this is your third class with us, maybe when you first started, you're like, oh my goodness, what I've got myself into. But I hope some of you now, it's like, man, my, I'm starting to get into this now. You made it a priority. You pushed through the urge to resist and, 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 and to quit. And now, because you've made it a priority, a deliberate intentional act, your heart's becoming connected to it. You're actually finding a hunger and a desire for it and an interest in it that didn't seem to exist in you before. That's a beautiful thing, all right? Now, let's keep moving on, though, because he then builds another layer onto this when he says the lamp of the body is the eye. What Jesus is talking about here is a spiritual law. Um, I've heard it referred to different ways. I prefer calling it the law of attraction. The law of attraction. Spiritual law works like a natural law. Think the law of gravity. The law of gravity um, is a law that's established by God. It's a physical law. Um, and, of course, it's necessary for life to function on planet Earth. Another law that is both a natural law but also a universal law the law of seed, time, and harvest. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, whatever you plant, you're going to reap. And so obviously we want to sow good things and reap good things. Um, but now, along those same lines, we have the law of attraction. And the law of attraction says that whatever you focus on, whatever you value or treasure, make a priority in your life, two things are going to happen you're going to be drawn towards that thing and that thing's going to be drawn towards you okay so it's they're going like like magnets you know um are attracted if the fields are right if the alignment is right if the somebody say it attitude is right okay if if those magnets are in alignment with one another pow, they're going to they're going to snap together now if one's turned opposite they're going to repel right you try to push them together and they're going to zigzag from one another but oh if the attitude is right the attraction is there the alignment is there and it's not just that that you know one magnet is attracted and the other one stands still they they, they come to uh, they're drawn towards one another so the law of attraction says whatever you set your focus on that thing's going to be pulled towards you and you're going to, to be drawn towards it okay so this is why he said if your eye be um, uh, good. Let's. I'm getting ahead of myself. When Jesus said "lamp," lamp. Okay. Some translate this light. The light of the body is the eye. Lamp is the more accurate um, translation, and let me explain to you why. Um, Jesus was talking about an an oil lamp. And an oil lamp, if, or maybe you, you, we say kerosene lantern. If your parents or you or grandparents, whatever, maybe had one of those. My, my folks have one. Power goes out, light candles, light the, the lamp, the kerosene lamp. I don't think we actually burn kerosene anymore. anymore. They've got a fuel, but you got the picture right. But if you think about how that works, you light the wick, and that wick drops down into that reservoir of oil. And as 
the flame sits on top of that wick and burns, it pulls the oil up through that wick and feeds that flame. The flame is attracting or drawing the oil out of the reservoir. My parents have uh, those types of oil lamps that have had the same wick in I'm 51 years old, had the same wick in them my whole lifetime. And some of them were probably handed down by their parents. You think, well, why do you not ever have to replace the wick? Well, it's not really the wick that's burning. The wick is serving as a conduit to draw that fuel up and, and feed that flame. So when he says the lamp of the body is the eye, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that drawing. So when you set your eye on something or set your heart on something, then there is there's that law of attraction takes over. So when he says if your eye is good, some translations say if your eye be single. Now again, what he's talking about here is attitude or focus or perspective. So if your eye is singularly focused, right? Think airplane orientation, right? If if your attitude or if your eye is singularly focused on your Creator, His purpose, destiny for your life, it will cause your entire being to be filled with light. Let's go back to last Sunday morning, Sunday evening sermons. See, that's the thing with with these other affections, other affections desire for other things. That causes our focus to be fragmented as opposed to this singular laser-like focus on, on, on what God has for us, the life He created us to live. We, we're all over the place. The Bible says a double-minded man, James, unstable in all of his ways. So when we say that discipleship is an attitude, we're talking about focus on this process, focused on you know the life that Jesus paid such a high price to give us, this this outward expression of this inward reality, um, and 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 the uncommon commitment that we're making, um, you know, to that. Right now, oh, thank you, Jesus. I, I sure I I know that. Um, I ask you a lot when I'm standing in front of you. You know, I say something to the effect, I hope you're getting something out of this. I hope that this is making sense to you. Um, I'm really, I'm believing that you are, and I believe that it is um, uh, making um, sense to you. One of the things that I have written in my notes, and um, your attitude towards the Word has everything to do with your eyes being open to it and you receiving from it. So your attitude towards the Word of God, your attitude towards the Word made flesh, towards Jesus, your attitude towards the Word has everything to do with you receiving something from it, getting something um, uh, out of it, your eyes being open to it, and you receiving the, the, the life and wisdom that's in it. Um, in other words, if you have the wrong attitude towards God's Word, you're, you're, you're going to be blinded. You're going to, you're going to be blinded to the truth that would have otherwise set you free. Remember those folks believed on Jesus. Jesus said, continue my Word. You'll know the truth. The truth of it. Their attitude's like, man, who do you think you are? So notice that their eyes were opened somewhat to Jesus and what He did and how He handled the situations in the temple that afternoon, 
but because they were not willing to, to continue further, their eyes were, were basically closed to the magnitude, I mean just the enormous amount of things that he you know, wanted uh, to, to do in them and show them and teach them. Same is true with you and me. Same is true with you and me. Our attitude towards the Word has everything to do with whether or not your eyes are going to be open to the truth that's, that's in the Word and your ability to receive that truth and the fruit of that truth um, in your life. Um, one way to maybe understand this is to consider what God has already revealed to you. What you already had your eyes open to and the difference that that's made in your life. Um, one word from God changed your life forever. That's what Brother Copeland says, and it's true. Um, and so, if your life is better tonight than it's ever been in the past because of something you've seen or had revealed to you from the Word of God, then please be thankful for that. Be thankful for that. But the next question you need to ask is, Father, what else have I been blinded to? What else do I not see that I need to see that would make an even greater difference in my life and, and, and ability to, to live by faith and do the things that You've called me and, uh, and created me to do? Praise God. Alright, so let me give you just a few verses right quick. Um, let's not take the time uh, to uh, reveal, I mean, when I say reveal, let's let the Holy Spirit reveal them, but let's not, let's not take the time to look each one of these up. Um, this is when I'm teaching the class uh, there in the classroom at Heritage. I look at my watch and I go, can you believe it's been an hour and a half, but really we're coming down uh, just to the last 15 minutes or so. And um, so let me, um, let me give you some verses. There's, there's one that we will look, look up, but let me give you these um, first, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. Um, here God is saying, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's Deuteronomy 4 and 29. You will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Uh, your mind, emotions, and will. The part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, the part of you that chooses. You will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart, with all your soul. Jeremiah 29 and 13. Again, these lots of wonderful passages here that we'll look at at later times. But he says this, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So notice the attitude of the heart. The the Peter said it so beautifully. You know, where else will we go? That's John 6, 68. You have the words of life. He didn't understand the so many I know I've given you this twice already, but Jesus in John the sixth chapter preached a sermon. A lot of people didn't understand it. It confused them, it offended them. Notice their attitude. Their attitude is this guy's a nut. He don't know what he's talking about. And they turned away from Jesus and followed Him no more. Later that evening, He asked the disciples, Are you going to leave me also? Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
One translation says, Jesus, when you speak, something comes alive inside of me. Now, I want you to think about this in light of this next point. Peter didn't understand the sermon either. It wasn't that Peter knew the sermon and thought everybody else was just, you know, spiritually dense. No, no, Peter didn't know what the sermon meant either. But he knew. His attitude was, Jesus, you have words that nobody else knows. You have answers that nobody else has. When you speak, something comes alive inside of me. Peter's like basically saying, Jesus, I've heard hundreds of people speak about God. I've heard rabbis and Pharisees and, and doctors of the law. I've, I've heard some of the greatest Bible expositors teach from the Old Testament that exist on planet Earth. But when you speak, something comes alive inside of me. Notice his attitude. His attitude was like, Jesus, I don't know what you were talking about today, but I know that I need to know. I know that it was the most important thing I've probably ever heard and that if I don't get the answer to it from you, nobody else has it. See, notice that attitude there. And man, the things that Jesus was able to teach Peter and the other disciples simply because of their attitude. He called it, Jesus called it in Matthew 13, He called it a ready heart. A ready heart. Man, I like that. I like that. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for all of us uh, in this class learning together is, Father, give us a ready heart, a heart that's ready. What's a heart that's ready? A heart that's ready is one that is focused, that's made this uncommon commitment, that's, that's wanting not just to learn a few things we've never heard before, but to have the Word of God imparted into us and, and the inward reality of the new birth in Christ in us being brought forth from us. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It's one of my life verses. Jesus, uh, Jesus is the Word. The writer of Hebrews through the Holy Spirit there says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And then he says, those who come to God must, keyword there, must, not an option, must believe two things. Number one, must believe that God is. Must believe that God is. Right? Now, I think that's almost a no-brainer, but let's just think about it now. I mean, you're not going to seek God if you don't believe there is a God. Okay. So number one, prerequisite, a must. Must believe that God is. Number two, and must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Okay? Now, what is He saying there? He's saying that your attitude has everything to do, your attitude towards God, which again is perhaps most accurately revealed in your attitude towards His Word. Your attitude towards God to seek Him diligently. Diligence is a man's precious possession. What the Bible says, right? There's the oh, that verse, praise God in Proverbs. He says, "The lazy man doesn't roast what he killed in hunting." All right, we got any any people who love to fish out there? Fisher sisters, fishermen, fisher women, right? Fishers, right? Very fun to catch fish. Not.
to gut them and clean them and pull the scales off of them and cook them, right? That's why a lot of people catch fish thrown back. So one thing to kill a deer, another thing to gut a deer, drag it out of the woods, um, preserve the meat, all that other stuff, okay? So diligence then is that uncommon commitment. It's that next step. It's like this this isn't fun anymore. This just got to be work. This got to be a little bloody. It got to be a little dirty, you know, hard, so to speak, compared to catching the fish, compared to buying the, you know, going to the bait shop and buying the tackle and all that stuff. It's fun to do, right? Okay. So when he says diligently seek me, the diligently there, if you understand diligence from a from a biblical perspective, there, it's like when it's not when it's not popular, when it's not the fad, it's not the. Uh, remember last week, the folks who quit before they understood, the folks um, who quit before they became established, the folks who quit and never knew they did, and then the folks that never quit. So, one of the definitions of diligent is tied in with that word continue. It's that you just keep on keeping on. You do it when it's fun, you do it when it's not, you do it when you feel like it, you do it when you don't, you, you, you do it when it seems like heaven is right there breathing on you so close, and you do it when it feels like um, nobody's listening, and, and, and as they say, the heavens are brass. It's that diligence, right? It's that, it's that set your heart, set your affections, I'm going after this, and I'm not going to succumb to the resistance from, from the enemy. So, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, God gives grace to everybody. Amen. You need to say amen to that. God gives grace to everybody. He makes His rain and His sun to shine and fall on just and unjust, saved people, unsaved people. God shows mercy in different measures to everybody. The great God's a merciful God. And it's His goodness that draws people to repentance. Okay, But the Bible clearly says that God gives more grace to the humble. You say, well, that means God's playing favorites. No, no, no. Anybody who wants to humble themselves, God will give more grace to. Right? But not everybody enjoys the same amounts of grace um, that are available from God. It's because some folks are more diligent in their seeking of Him than others. Now, if that offends you, I'm not trying to offend you. As a matter of fact, this isn't to condemn you. This is to encourage you. The Bible talks about people who addicted themselves to the Word of God, addicted themselves to the kingdom and to the work of God's ministry. Um, the Bible talks about people who gave themselves entirely to it. The Bible talks about the Bereans, right, who were more noble in, in, in their efforts than, than others. And of course, we looked at the people last week at Antioch who um, you know, committed themselves with great purpose of heart to continue with the Lord and be discipled for a you know, systematically disciple for a, for a one-year process um, with some of the greatest Bible teachers that ever lived. Um, so, amen. Um, and we see what God did in their lives. There were other people who were born again that did not make that kind of commitment, did not have that same attitude, who did not grow up in the things of God um, the way... Uh, those folks at Antioch did the way those folks in Berea did, um, and and praise God the way those folks uh, like you and me are growing because of the commitment and the attitude that we have towards the Word of God. So He's a rewarder of those. And I, is is it? Am I the only one that's impressed 
or, or maybe that's not even a, a, the right word. It's just almost taken aback that believe that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him is right alongside believing that He is. I mean, it doesn't get any more of a fundamental belief than believing God is. And according to God, it's right there next to it is the belief that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. See, there's a lot of people talk about their faith in God, their belief in God, but their attitude is not reflected in their diligent seeking of Him, of His truth for their life and of His best. Alright, I said one more verse. Let's finish here tonight. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 7. Praise God. I'll give you a minute to turn there. we got just about five minutes. I should have probably already wrapped this up. Brother Donald Ballard is going to be bringing the Word at Heritage tonight. If you've never heard this brother preach and teach, you need to hear him. He graduated from the Founder several years ago. Um, has uh, been involved. Took discipleship class, I know at least once, maybe maybe more than once. Um, and uh, he's just a blessed brother. He, he participates with Heritage in our jail ministry at the Bessemer City Jail, him and Matthew. Uh, so you're in for a real treat tonight. And uh, we're just blessed by that. So I want to give you time to get to the restroom and get you some water and then get settled into the sanctuary. But let's finish right here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 7. It says this, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. This is, this is what he's communicating here. He's saying that, that if you will consider... Now, this, this word can mean different things to different people. And consider here doesn't mean just like, well, let me consider this bottle of water. No, no. To consider something is to really focus on it. To, to, to invest the time and the effort and the mental energy required to give, we might say it this way, deep or intense thought to, deep or intense consideration to. Okay, um, This would be like the Old Testament version of meditation where you would like mutter it to yourself. You know, you, you would just focus on it intensely and deeply, right? But he's saying that when you consider what's being said to you, this is how the Lord, He'll come alongside with the Holy Spirit and He will do what? He will give you understanding, not just in what you're considering, but He will give you understanding in all things. Focusing on what Father is saying to you right now in your life, giving consideration, it becomes... I know, I know some of you, Rick and Jereen, different ones that, that are involved in the class this year. My sister, uh, Meredith, uh, certified scuba divers. Um, so if you think of, you know, like the scuba diver, I think it's cool, that, I've never done it, but I think it's cool that they're going backwards, you know. They, it's, it's, you know it, even if you didn't have to go in backwards, if I ever scuba dive, I would want to go in backwards just because I you know, think it's cool, you know, 
somebody take a picture of me going in backwards, but you, so if you think of it like you're up on the surface, right? And then all of a sudden you drop in out of the water, out of the boat rather, into the water, you splash in, you go under the water. Now what happens? A whole nother world opens up to you once you go from above surface to below surface. Okay? Now, and by the way, people who, who've done it, they say it's breathtaking, right? So what he's saying is that when God begins to speak to you from His Word, that becomes that point of entry. That becomes where you know you, you go backwards out of the boat into the water, but then all of a sudden it's like, Shazam, look, look at all these other things that I didn't even have a clue about that the Lord by the Holy Spirit begins to open up to you. Amen. Well, praise God. Um, I want to I pray for you tonight. I mentioned it at the beginning of the class. For those of you who joined us as we were going, um, I am uh, in Lakeland, Florida tonight. And we teach discipleship. We taught discipleship class number three um, from Lakeland. Um, I'm here in, uh, my uncle calls this his man cave. It's actually a spare bedroom in his assisted living apartment. And uh, Pam and I, we've, the Lord's really blessed us. It's been, it's been a fruitful trip. And um, just to get to spend some time with him, uh, I met uh, a pastor today. He's in his 90s. And, uh, and somebody comes and picks him up, drives him 50 miles from here, and he's preaching. He preaches every Wednesday night. And I've uh, just met some beautiful people here at this um, beautiful facility, Zellia Park Assisted Living. Um, I don't know if it's a retirement home, what, what we call it uh, these days. But anyway, uh, but the Lord's really blessing us. Thank you for your patience um, allowing me to do this. Um, live streaming for those of you who are used to it being uh, me being there in person um, at Heritage and um, we look forward uh, to being home on Sunday uh, so looking forward to some great services at Heritage on Sunday communion on Sunday morning and of course we'll be back with you in person there uh, at Heritage next Wednesday for discipleship class number four as well as live streaming let me pray for you Father thank you this evening for the men and women who join this class those who will watch it later we also thank you in advance for all of the folks that these people will reach out to and help and minister. Father, uh, may those who've been touched and blessed by this in some way tonight, may they share it on Facebook. And Father, may more and more people um, hear the word that you have for them uh, through this uh, wonderful avenue, this wonderful channel. Um, Father, we thank you for uh, the service at Heritage tonight. We pray, uh, Lord, uh, for our brother Derek and and uh, just lift him up to you tonight. We know that he's recovering and others that may be Bryce, Lord, as well. Others that may need a touch in their body. We just agree together, Lord, for these men of God and these servants. And we thank you for touching them. And Father, we thank you for your blessing upon each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Good night. I love you. Have a blessed evening. And uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Amen.